0: Welcome to Award Wieners. I'm your co-host John, joined by the starter Pistol David. This is our night at the Oscars where we watch Oscar winning movies while enjoying Oscar Mayer Wieners. It's a celebration of American culinary and cinematic pop culture. In this episode, we race to the end of a movie about running, Chariots of Fire, winner of the 1981 Oscar for Best Picture. Dave, what's going on?
1: I'm ready to keep going. Let's go as fast as we possibly can right now. Okay, Dave, describe this movie. Wait, 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 what? No, No, I'm not actually going to do that, Uh, (laughs) but we are going to do this quickly. (laughs) I hope so. What's going on? Yeah, this is a great question. The uh, Best Picture noms came out and they picked eight movies. And we'll definitely get to those probably next month, actually. I think I've watched about half of them already. Yeah, I've seen six of the eight. One of them's not out yet, so I can't watch it. <laughs> the final one is Trial of the Chicago 7. I have been incredibly lazy on. I know it's been out for months and months. I am not interested, but I will watch it for this podcast.
0: <laughs> we'll catch it. I'm sure it's fine.
1: I would say it's the second runner up. It's not the leading contender. Leading contender is no Madland.
0: So, speaking of runners, yeah, we are talking about the movie Chariots of Fire today. Hey, whoa, 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 move back. We're going to talk
1: about first run movies. <laughs> I wanted to mention a movie I saw, and that's called Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar. How was it? Fantastic. It is one of the funniest movies I've seen in years. It has big Zoolander vibes. I highly recommend it. It's just an absurdist comedy. Don't read anything about it, go in blind. Uh, you will be
0: pleasantly surprised. Is it streaming somewhere so I don't have to pay for it? No, you have to pay for it. Gotcha. Okay. Have you seen any first-run movies, John? Nope. Nope.
1: None? You saw Nomadland?
0: I saw Nomadland. It's fine.
1: Thank you for that great insightful review. Would would you recommend people go see it? No. Okay. (laughs) And we'll cover that when the Oscars come out. Thank you, everyone. (laughs) Yep. It's fine. It's fine.
0: Okay. So, Dave. Yeah. Cruising right along here. Picking up speed. Chairs to Fire. Mm-hmm. How would you describe this movie?
1: Two English runners prepare for the 1924 Olympics. But now that I say that out loud, maybe it's like two United Kingdom runners prepare for the 1924 Olympics.
0: And they have some hurdles they need to get over.
1: They they have some very trivial hurdles they need to get over.
0: <laughs> the movie doesn't do a good job of explaining their hurdles, but we'll get into that in a minute. So this movie was released March 30th, 1981. It's runtime is two hours and five minutes, kind of slow for a running movie. Budget of $5.5 million, and it made $58.9 million in the box office. It's directed by Hugh Hudson. He was mostly known for doing documentaries and some things. I think this was his first movie for the cinema.
1: Mm-hmm. feature film.
0: Yeah, and when I was listening to his commentary, he sure does love himself. <laughs> I looked at the other movies he's done, and I can name absolutely
1: zero. This is literally the only movie I know of him.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's really hyped on this movie and how great he thinks it is. So,
1: Would you say that he is more arrogant than the Deer Hunter director or less arrogant?
0: Well, the Deer Hunter director is like its own type of crazy. I don't know if this guy is super arrogant, but he definitely thinks this is like a really, really good movie.
1: Okay, so we're gonna go with less. We're going with less. <laughs> He's proud. He's proud of his work, which is not necessarily bad. Bad thing.
0: It goes a little beyond proud to obnoxious. Okay. Okay. I think he overestimates its value.
1: From myself and all of the award-winner audience, thank you for watching the uh, commentary to let us know that.
0: <laughs> so this movie was nominated for seven Academy Awards and it won four, including Best Picture, which is why we're reviewing it. Writing original screenplay for the screen, which was very specific that year in 1981. Original score.
1: This score was composed by Vangalis, and he's a Greek musician who does ambient jazz and electronic music. The title track to this movie called Titles reached number one on the US Billboard Hot 100 chart for one week, which is crazy to me because it's instrumental. (laughs) And then he didn't attend the Academy Awards because he was scared of flying. Then he even turned down a boat ride across the uh, Atlantic to get here.
0: <laughs> when I was listening again to the commentary, they're just like, yeah, he kind of just does whatever he wants. And that's how we got this crazy electronic score for a period piece.
1: <laughs> which is, it's very wild. It's very wild. It's not bad. It's just wild.
0: <laughs> he also did the Blade Runner score, which I also think is very iconic. And mm-hmm. they're not that dissimilar, but they're very different movies, if that makes sense. <laughs> yes. You're like, here's yes. an electronic keyboard. In a movie from 1920. <laughs> but it sort of works, I would say. Maybe not as well as it could have. I mean, the opening does. <laughs> the opening does. Yeah. We'll get to the opening in a second. And the fourth Oscar it won for was costume design. That's interesting. I mean, do you think the costumes were cool? No. So the story I heard was Reds is also a period piece set at the same time. So it had all the costumes rented out production weren't long and they didn't have costumes for chariots of fire so they had to go make them all
1: okay so it's the story is like you got it done by hook or crook so we're going to reward you yes okay i appreciate that
0: yeah so this movie went up against atlantic city indiana jones and the raiders of the Lost Ark, on golden pond and reds reds actually won best director
1: i know of that movie but i have not seen it which I'm sure you're going to ask next. next.
0: Yeah, have you seen any of those movies other than Reds? Because I, I already know the answer.
1: I rewatched uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark for this episode. I did not watch the other movies. To be frank, I was running low on time, so I watched Chariots of Fire twice in preparation. My general thoughts on Raiders is that movie is really, really good. And this is my first time watching it as an adult with a critical eye. And I think the critique against it that it's just an action movie is completely unwarranted. And one of the things that I caught on this viewing was that Indiana Jones' internal arc was that he was a man who didn't believe in God and through his experiences discovered God. And that's why he closed his eyes at the end of the movie.
0: Yeah. So I think that's a very good movie. Probably the best one of all of these. I Mm -hmm. think Reds is a garbage movie and I think Atlantic City is not very good either. Possible, but not great. But I really enjoyed On Golden Pond. What's it about? It is about two septuagenarians and they're a cranky old couple who constantly like bite at each other, but it's funny. (laughs) Their daughter goes off to Europe with her boyfriend and leave his son with them for the summer. This kid who feels kind of abandoned bonds with this old man and in the process fixes the relationship this old man has with his daughter because they did not along together when she was growing up. It's really good. You can stream it on HBO Max. It has Catherine Hepburn in it. Ooh. Peter Fonda and his daughter, Jane Fonda, as well.
1: Well, it sounds like a movie that is good, but I will not be watching it. <laughs> Other films that came out this year, John. Superman 2, Escape from New York, The Evil Dead, and Excalibur.
0: The Evil Dead came out in 81? Holy cow. All bangers. Every last one of those. <laughs> The movies we got for Best Picture this year, by and large, were not that good. Well, every movie that I just named off, Chariots of Fire is worse than. (laughs) Like, let's be honest. I think it has its moments, but it does not deserve to be in the annals of film history. Well, we'll cover why. (laughs) We ruined the
1: episode, guys, but it's really hard to talk around something like this, right? Usually we can find something that's, well, we like this and that about it, but this is more bad than good.
0: There's moments I like, but yeah, okay. Anyway, so top grossing film this year, Raiders of the Last Ark. No one should be surprised. We all saw that as kids. We all loved it.
1: It's hard to explain how big Raiders and like all those movies were to people who were even like 10 years younger than us. So significant.
0: They're so much fun. Good mythology. Yeah.
1: We just got to ignore the fact that Indy's a Tomb Raider and (laughs) stealing things that probably shouldn't be stolen. (laughs)
0: When he says belongs in a museum, he should say, I'm culturally appropriating this to take back to my country.
1: Yes, yes. So in the remake, he's going to be stopping these people, right? To give them back to the... Lo- <laughs> like, how I do don't that?
0: know. But Harrison Ford has signed up for a fifth indie.
1: <laughs> well, we won't get into the fourth one. Let's just, just move past it. I don't even know what you're talking about. Exactly, exactly. Exactly.
0: If you're a first-time listener, you should know that we eat movie-themed hot dogs while watching these movies. David, how's your dog dressed on the red carpet this evening?
1: Oh, this was so hard to do this one. I ended up doing the British dog. That is essentially beans on a hot dog because this movie is so freaking British. (laughs) And astute listeners might say, but David, that sounds a lot like a Boston dog. Boston is also very English.
0: (laughs) It is New England. Yes, yes, but a
1: British dog. Hot dog with baked beans on it. I am not proud of it, but uh, that is what this movie deserved. What'd you do?
0: Well, I also did a British hot dog. I just saw in England, it's really common to toss fried onions on a hot dog. So that's what I did. Super easy and tasty. There's some spicy mustard on there. Gives it a little extra bang. Um,
1: by fried onions, do you mean onion rings or, or what?
0: No, I guess caramelized is maybe a better way to say that, where I just throw it in some butter and cook it.
1: It took longer than five minutes to confirm, right? To make... Uh, Not really, but a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) I I swear it takes longer than five minutes to make caramelized onions, and that is the biggest lie perpetrated by cookbooks. It depends on how
0: black you want them, you know?
1: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Everyone remember, always triple the time. 15 minutes.
0: (laughs) All right, Dave. Speaking of food facts, what do you got for us?
1: Yeah, so again, this is a super British movie, so I wanted to talk about The English Breakfast, also known as The Full English Breakfast, or a fry-up. So I did a little bit of research around this, and you're not going to find a lot of like where this came from because it's just sort of a staple. To give you an idea of what a full English breakfast is, so that's a meat of some sort, sausage or bacon, baked beans, tomatoes, fried bread, and an egg. And then optionally, you can do black and white pudding, fried kidneys, kippers, mushrooms, and potatoes. John, have you ever had a, a full breakfast?
0: I've had a full breakfast, but I don't think I've had a full English breakfast. This is probably more than I can eat.
1: Yeah, it's it looks like a lot. I don't believe I've had one either. I've definitely never had baked
0: beans for breakfast. There you go. <laughs> what a way to start the day.
1: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if they like them, they like them. Quick history here. So in the 17th century, the items which would make a traditional English fry up were only eaten by the upper class, such as bankers. As meat was expensive, the rest of the population would eat bread and butter for breakfast, uh, with cheap jam containing very little fruit. Uh, The dish did appear in a cookbook, and it was the Book of Household Management, which was released in 1861. But it wasn't until 100 years later or so that the ingredients were cheap enough to make the meal available en masse.
0: Book of Household Management. What an exciting title. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Isabella uh, Beaton's Book of Household Management. Yes, it, it jumps off the shelf.
0: <laughs> I bet it does. From 1861, still in use today.
1: I mean, it's only like 60 years before this movie. <laughs> so it probably was in use.
0: <laughs> movie trivia, Dave, what do you got for us?
1: I got a little bit. This first point, I got it from Wikipedia and I searched and I searched for a better source, but I couldn't find it. So take this with a grain of salt. So Chariots was mercilessly savaged by French critics because it called the French the frogs and an unprincipled lot. Roger Ebert lobbied other American critics in attendance of the cons to award it the American Critics Prize.
0: I'm pretty sure I heard the same story on the audio commentary. They talked about that as well. Maybe not that specific piece about Roger Ebert, but they did talk about how the French did not like the film. Part of that is definitely true.
1: Could you imagine though, being like, this movie's so good, we got to give it our own prize.
0: (laughs) Or he's just like, screw the French. I'm starting a new award because I think the American (laughs) Critics Prize has never existed previously or after that.
1: I couldn't figure that out, but I don't think so either. (laughs) Yeah. Some other notable facts here. 40 minutes were cut from this movie at the insistence of 20th Century Fox. I find this insane. Insane. It's already a two-hour movie.
0: They're just like, let's slow down another race.
1: (laughs) This race goes on for five minutes. Let's make it eight.
0: (laughs) It's a 10-second, 100-meter dash, but we definitely want to show it to you as slow as we can. (laughs) Okay, this is my final fact. The producers
1: intentionally added profanity to the movie to avoid a G rating because they thought people would associate a G reading with a movie for children.
0: They talked about that in the commentary. There's one scene where they add a curse word in an otherwise curseless movie at the beginning of the movie. When one of those injured world war one veterans is carrying a bag, he says something like those shits are the people that we fought the war for. That's the curse word that they added in there. PG movie still says four kids from to me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they didn't have PG-13 at the time, so keep that in mind.
1: Yes, yes. But the bigger point is that this movie is very wholesome, I would say.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: So, Dave, Actifacts, what do you got for us? First up is Ben Cross as Harold Abrams. Here are the movies that I know him from. First Night. He was also in Star Trek from 2009. He played Serac. And then he's in The Hurricane Heist. And this is a terrible, terrible, bad movie but it is hilarious and I highly recommend it if you want to go check out like a C-level movie starring the brother from True Blood. In a 1985 interview, he admitted that he preferred American roles because those type of roles allowed him to be more emotional than English roles.
0: Stiff upper lip.
1: Yeah, Yeah. stiff upper lip in America. We're just like, woo, bang, 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 bang.
0: (laughs) It's exactly what the British think, yeah.
1: We're making fun of beans, but they're probably like, you guys eat ammunition for breakfast and nothing but crappy cereal. He was up for the role of Severus Snape. I'm really thankful he didn't get it because I, I really love Alan Rickman.
0: My understanding is Ben Cross was an unknown. I think he was a stage actor and this was his first move. He died
1: in 2020. So next up is Ian Charlson and he played Eric Little. He's known for Gandhi, which we'll be covering in the future. And he did lots and lots and lots of theater work. Charleston was diagnosed with HIV in 1986, and he died in 1990 at the age of 40. And then he requested that the cause of his death be announced after he passed away. And this was in order to publicize his condition. I read this in a couple places, but according to Wikipedia, this was the first celebrity death in the United Kingdom that was openly attributed to AIDS. And the announcement helped promote awareness and acceptance of the disease. Some other things. He read the Bible from
0: beginning to end
1: in preparation for this uh, role. Have you ever done that? Have you read the Bible completely, John?
0: No, it's not that interesting. I've read parts of it and it goes bonkers in many moments. I've read like the crazy moments version of it. Here's my favorite Bible part, Dave. The Israelites like attack some neighboring country. When they're beaten, the king shaves off their beards and crops their tunics too short so their testicles hang out and makes them walk back. <laughs> I don't what a what a fucking weird thing and that's in the Bible.
1: Okay. I am certain I have read the Bible from front to back. My freshman year of high school, part of our class, first 45 minutes was reading the Bible and then the second 45 minutes was talking about the Bible from a like a pedagogical sense, terrible. It was absolutely horrible. It was like read Genesis
0: Oh, Catholic school.
1: Yeah, boy. <laughs> Went to church. So <laughs> I haven't gone to church in 20-something years. would <laughs> yeah. used to go to church twice a week. Me um, too. Okay, we have one more person to talk about, and that's Ian Holm, and he plays Sam Musabini. And you would know him from a lot of stuff, actually. So he was in Alien, and he played Ash. The android. Quick aside, John, are you an Alien or Aliens fan?
0: So... I even like Aliens four.
1: I like all. Four. I like them all. So uh, we're completely agree.
0: Yeah. Which one do I like better? Yeah. I actually probably like the War Off in space version a little better, mm-hmm. uh, but I actually think Alien is a better movie than Aliens.
1: I like Aliens better, but I do think I recognize Alien as a better movie.
0: Yeah. Same page.
1: Yeah, and then just a quick note about that movie. So when Alien, Ash is an android. and He gets torn apart, and they plug him back in, and he's speaking, and like all this white mucus is coming out. That was Milk. And reportedly, Ian really hated Milk. <laughs> so, but he still had to do that scene. <laughs>
0: over and over.
1: Yeah. All right. So, here's some ones you're more likely to know him from The Fifth Element. I love The Fifth Element. His major contribution he played Bilbo Baggins in The Lord of the Rings in The Hobbit film series. And then, additionally, in 1981, he played Frodo Baggins in the BBC radio adaptations of The Lord of the Rings. Nice. He's all up in The Hobbits. Last piece of information, he quit theater acting for a time because he went on stage and got severe stage fright, and he just could never get it out of his head. Imagine having stage fright for like 20 years.
0: When that's your primary means of income, too.
1: Yeah, yeah. Ian died in 2020.
0: Dave, you ready to get going? I'm crouched.
1: I'm at the starting line.
0: Yeah, let's do it. We're not going to go through this movie scene by scene because a lot of it is very similar. A lot of the scenes are people running and then the same race being run again in slow motion. So we're going to try to keep this short like a sprint should be. I watched this movie again earlier today. I actually appreciate it more than I did uh, when I was originally writing this up. So I think there are moments that are really good. My general feeling, put this movie out in the background and you'll be totally fine with it. So the opening sequence shows the cast running on a beach and the music is timed to their pace they actually had a car blasting music with a beat at them because I don't think the song was written yet so that they knew the pace that they needed to keep because they were supposed to run in time with the beat of the song the song is really iconic I think it's the quintessential sports song at this point like you're like overcoming adversity and rounding the bend towards the finish line this is probably what the film is best known for would you mm-hmm. say Dave? To-
1: yeah Your statement saying this is A quintessential sports song I wonder if that's true It's definitely One of the top five When I think of sports songs I think of this I think of Eye of the Tiger We will rock you Anything on Jock Jams Yeah anything on Jock Jams But there's this This song from Vision Quest The the wrestling movie That I know you would know That's also up there Is this the most iconic I'm gonna go with Eye of the Tiger though Because I think it's A better song Not that this one's bad It's actually a really good song
0: Part of the reason I say that is that I know this song was featured in the Olympics and has been parodied and parroted a lot in other movies. I, you'll definitely know this song. I feel like every sitcom, when they have a sports montage, plays this song.
1: One of the things I also liked about this scene, the slow motion pan over all the runners. For those who haven't seen this one, I hope you've seen it (laughs) because we're going to spoil the hell out of it. Uh, uh, There's like a dozen runners, but you kind of get their personalities with the way they rhyme. And specifically, I mentioned this because there's a character named Lord Lindsay, who's like running with his mouth open with like sand splashing his mouth. I laughed because it's like, what's this guy doing?
0: (laughs) yeah. They're all wearing like white sporting clothes and the guys in front are kicking sand up behind them and splashing the guys behind them. They're like in wet sand. This scene was shot four times. Every time they did it, it was a mile and a half run in freezing cold water and sand. (laughs) I don't know if you've ever been to stick your feet in the Pacific in like Mm -hmm. Northern California or above. It's all the water coming down from the Arctic, freezing cold. So they said they were doing that and they do it four times to, to get everything the director wanted. Dave, have you ever run in the sand?
1: Yes, multiple times. I've even run on dunes. I would say dunes are worse because you're going up and you can't climb very well.
0: <laughs> no, see, running on sand is so hard. I can't imagine, unless you have a very, very flat beach, which I've never been on. I've always been on one that's like a slope down into the ocean, which is very hard to run on because running on a slope is very <laughs> All the spring in your step that you get from pavement because it's a hard surface is gone. So it's like twice the effort to run on a, on a sandy surface.
1: Good thing they were comparably paid. Um,
0: yeah, they all <laughs> had to train too. And I think the Olympic trainer, when he came in, some of them weren't really runners. And he was like, oh my God, I've got to train these guys to be Olympic athletes. In a lot of the races that they ran, they actually had real track stars running with them. They had to give them all handicaps so that they would lose in the foot races that were run uh, for the film.
1: Well, I'm glad they figured out how to do it, but that's pretty funny. So I wanted to just ask, why do you think the scene's so iconic?
0: It's the music, I think. It's timed to be, you see these guys running. The scene is shot very beautifully, actually, you know, sort of like stormy skies in this like small sandy beach somewhere. Okay. And I I think it just, it, it looks really good. It sounds good. What do you think? So it's like everything came together. Yeah. You don't see slow motion a lot in motion pictures at
1: this time. So you see slow motion. You don't see electronic music in a period of film very often. It's in this movie. The acting is, I think, pretty good in this scene. It's wholly unique. I completely understand it. And there's a reason why this is the most well-known
0: part of the film. The music is anachronistic, meaning it doesn't fit the time period. But I feel like it kind of works. It fits in this situation because it, It's going for
1: like a sense of awe and wonder. And I think it works here. I don't think it works out through a whole film, but in this situation, I think it 100% works.
0: It breaks convention. And I think that's why people like it. And then just to reiterate your point about slow motion, that was like a new film technology at the time. And it had pretty much only been used for sporting events up until now. So when he put this in the film, it was something new and different. Some people really hated it and he took a lot of flack apparently, but he did win an Oscar for it.
1: Yeah. And Zack Snyder was out there like, this is great. I'm going to write this down.
0: Yeah. <laughs> slow-mo. I love slow-mo. <laughs> and moving along, we meet our main characters, Harold Abrams. He's a, a noted athlete who's just entered Cambridge University. So Dave, you want to give us a bit on Harold Abrams? Who was he? What's he like? One, he's a
1: real person. He's the son of a wealthy immigrant banker. Uh, he's Jewish. He's an accomplished runner. He really, really hates losing and he wants the win to prove that he is just as good as everyone else.
0: How about you? How would you describe him? He's a secular Jew. So he's really not religious. I don't think he particularly cares about those things. He is actually the polar opposite of the other character we'll meet in a while. who is a devout religious person. Guy likes going out on the town. He's sleeping with a woman that he's not married to. And I think the other Part of his storyline is that throughout his entire life, he's dealt with anti-Semitism in Anglican society. So Anglican being polite British society, telling people they should be from certain stock and behave certain ways. And I think he's new money, son of an immigrant, dealing with a very traditional society that doesn't quite accept that he's different. Do you love running? I'm more of an addict. It's a compulsion, a weapon. Against what? Being Jewish, I suppose.
1: I'm what I call semi-deprived.
0: That sounds clever. What does it mean?
1: It means they lead me to water, but they won't let me
0: drink. They begrudgingly allow him to do everything because he's got money and he's smart. And that's also what drives him to run. Running as a way to show everyone else he's just as good.
1: You know, while at Cambridge, Abrahams participates in the college Dash, and he dominates various running competitions... So in real life, Abrahams did not do the college dash, which is actually called the Trinity Great Court Run. This was inspired by David Sissel, 6th Marquis of Exeter, and this person was also on the 1924 Olympic team. And Sissel refused to let his name and likeness appear in the movie because it was historical inaccuracies. The character, Lord Andrew Lindsay, is partially based on Sissel. Maybe we should describe this run a little bit.
0: I found this to be kind of a fun scene. There's a mm-hmm. courtyard in their college in Cambridge that 700 paces long or something like that. There's a challenge. The time, the clock chimes 12 times to make it around the entire courtyard. It's never been done before, and this guy does it.
1: Yeah, I think this is one of the better scenes. It is. It is more interesting. So why exactly is this in the film? Is it the show that he's trying to prove that he's better than everyone or prove that he can keep up?
0: I think he's also just out to set records and be the fastest mm-hmm. person there is. And this is one step in that direction. Yeah. So, but also I think, well, it potentially squashes any antisemitism immediately for, for all his peers, because they're like, Oh man, you know, he did this. And I think maybe that's why he does it. That's his motivation.
1: That's some great insight prior to the, the race. He's it's like, I'm going to go do this. And the whole student body gathers around and people are jeering him. lightly making fun of him, but you don't know if they're serious or not. Yeah, so that is some really great insight. I did hear one of the jeers. Someone called him a swank, and I thought that was really funny. Apparently, it's someone who's just arrogant.
0: I don't think he means to be. I think it's because he pushes himself so hard to try to be the best that people take it that way. If he comes across as hard or arrogant, it's not targeted at anybody specifically. It's just that. He expects the best out of everyone and himself more than anybody else.
1: Okay. So let's talk about the second character.
0: The more boring of the two.
1: The more boring of the two, but probably the more likable of the two. (laughs) Charles Little. Little is a champion rugby player and the son of a Scottish missionary living and working in China. He's to visit Scotland for the first time. Like Abrahams, he is ridiculously fast. And this is shown in the film when essentially he beats a bunch of Scottish runners at a race he hasn't prepared for. And I believe he's actually wearing his suit when he does it.
0: How would you describe Little? He's kind-hearted and extremely religious. So he is definitely proselytizing all the time. That's the job he's going to have when he's done with the Olympics. He's going to go back to being a missionary in China. You know, he's also going to these church events, trying to convince people using his platform as a sports figure to do this as well. Very sportsman-like. He goes and shakes everybody's hand before the race, says nice to meet you, wishes them the best of luck. He seems very affable, seems likable.
1: Was he? Is he the original Tim Tebow?
0: <laughs> no, Tim Tebow's a truck, man. <laughs> Little's like a tiny... A Honda that just keeps going? He's more than just a Honda. He's, he's a Honda with a really big engine in it. He's an Acura.
1: He's not, okay, that's great. I don't understand those references because I don't understand cars, but thank you. <laughs> there you go. One thing I want to note about about this, again, he's real. Almost everyone you'll meet in this are real people. Eric Little did have an extremely unique running style. He would run with his chest out, his head back, and his mouth open. But in this movie, it's exaggerated. Absolutely the worst running style I've ever seen in anything. It's His hands are like flopping back and forth. <laughs> it's... It's really funny.
0: He won. He was like one of the fastest people in the world at the time. So imagine what he could have done with some training. <laughs> like, Everyone's just like, this is just what he does.
1: <laughs> he's more elegant in real life. Let's put it that way.
0: So there's this one race early on where I think he's trying to qualify for something and he falls down yep. and then gets up and beats everyone. Yeah, Is any of that believable? I mean, it depends on how
1: long the race is.
0: I don't know, but it seemed pretty crazy to me. Maybe I'm not understanding the distance here, but he falls in like the first turn and then gets up and still wins, which seems impossible to me.
1: But it makes good watching. Little's mission, his church, they tell him that he has a lot of gifts and that to honor God, he should use them. They said that they need a muscular Christian to draw attention to their faith. That term caught my ear. So I did a little... Jesus
0: was a very buff dude on a cross.
1: He was an athlete. Yeah. <laughs> you walk everywhere. What did a muscular Christian mean? According to Wikipedia, it's a philosophical movement that originated in England in the mid-19th century. And it's characterized by a belief in patriotic duty, discipline, self-sacrifice, manliness, and the moral and physical beauty of athleticism. I don't know about you, but like, I prefer my It's tiny and weak.
0: <laughs> it just sounds like Nazi. Like, that's what I hear when I hear those. All that put together. What I'm
1: really hearing is like, "Hey, stay out of trouble by doing sports." That's what I'm hearing. Sure. At the time, it was believed that physical training built stamina necessary to perform service for others, and that physical strength led to moral strength and good character. Christians increasingly felt that athletics could be a good outlet for burning off steam rather than finding a less moral outlet. And by less moral outlet, we mean banging. Less moral outlet. Give up, give up your morals to bang out of wedlock, according to Christians. So yeah, sure. All right. Probably backfired a lot. You get all worked up for the athletics, and you're like, I need to blow off some steam. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there was no like significant person in charge of the the movement. It was just a bunch of smaller people, um,
0: smaller people who didn't work out and wanted bodies around.
1: <laughs> it was. But I mean by that is like there was no head figure. A or loose organization. Does it still happen today? Because I know that young teens are pushed to do sports as a way to keep people out of trouble, but maybe not so much the philosophical aspects of it. Sure. Sure. Okay. Okay. That's how we got the YMCA. Moving on.
0: His sister is also very devout and a missionary. And she is like, you are missing all your missionary duties because you're training. Pick one or the other. And She's pushing him towards the missionary piece. I thought he had like an oddly close relationship with his sister the way it's acted. They're too close. I thought they were dating.
1: I must have missed a part where it's a sister. Uh, and I was the whole movie, I was like, what? This relationship's very strange. And yeah. then I read that you were like, oh, it's a sister. I was like,
0: oh, it changes the entire movie. <laughs> yes. Apparently, he did actually have a girlfriend who shows up in a couple scenes, but they cut her from the plot. Occasionally, you'll see a woman sitting next to him that is actually his girlfriend.
1: So Little dominates various races, and he becomes a top runner, and this puts him on a collision course with Abrahams.
0: We see at the beginning of a lot of these races, these runners, they go out to the dirt track and they dig with a trowel, little divots, to create a starting position for their feet. Most of the time, we now see something called a starting block. When you watch track athletes push off that starting thing that came about in 1929, I think it's funny to watch these guys go out with a little garden trowel and dig a little hole before they run a race. Clearly,
1: Little and Abrahams are going to race each other. Who did you want to win at this point?
0: That's a good question. I feel like I relate more to Abrams. Okay. Because he also seems like the underdog a little bit. As much as an underdog with immense wealth can be. I was on
1: Little's side. I knew that these two are in a collision course, and I'm like, there is no way Abrahams is gonna win this. <laughs> like like Little is gonna smoke him.
0: <laughs> All right. So you're team Little. I'm team Abraham's. Yeah, I'm glad it worked out this way. Did you ever participate in individual sports? Uh does martial arts count as an individual sport? I think so. So we we talked about this previously, but how serious were you? Not that serious, I gotta say. I was kind of doing it for fun. I did participate in tournaments. It really just has a skill check. Yeah, I don't do it still, so clearly not that seriously. What about you?
1: I wrestled for
0: seven years. What was your name? It was David Undertaker Cross. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Bulldozer. And what song did you come
1: out to? The Vanga Boys, always. <laughs> the Vangabus. <laughs> you never expect the Vangabus. Um, but what I was sort of getting at is that, that I think this movie does a really good job of capturing the tension... In individual sports, that moment where everything is silent right before you compete not only against other people but yourself, I didn't think this the first time, but going through the second time and I started to reflect on my time as re- in wrestling when it's just me and another person, I could see how like some of these scenes are put together to try to heighten the internal tension of the characters. doing individual sports takes a totally different type of person. (laughs) You have to be really driven to be great at those. Next up, Abrahams and Little compete against each other and Little beats Abrahams. The scene is shown from several different angles. Mostly it's Abrahams reflecting on his loss.
0: This is where I think the movie gets interesting. It's like, what's the emotional toll on you losing when you didn't expect to lose or realize that you can't be better than you are? It's not that he just lost He can't be any better. There's pretty much nothing he can do to go further until he cheats.
1: Cheats? I don't know. I don't think he's Well, we'll get into that in a second. We'll (laughs) get into that in a second. Did you find the replay over
0: several times interesting? Yeah, I was thinking about that earlier today, actually. I think it works out sometimes. Mm -hmm. I don't always think it's necessary. It's an interesting
1: scene. I kind of laughed at it the first time I watched the movie, but then I reevaluated it the second time, and I was like, "This this was okay." It's not my favorite, but I think it's okay.
0: I think they actually do a good job of making something sort of interesting out of these races because most of them are like ten seconds long. That's part of the reason they slow it down is like you would get no drama in ten seconds.
1: So Abraham's doesn't take the loss well. He is upset. At one point, he just says something like. If I can't win, I won't race. I'll take my ball and go home. And in response, he hires Sam Musabini, again, Ian Holm, a professional running coach to hone his natural talents. Some minor dramas ensue with Abrahams and his university.
0: Before we get into this, amateur status in England was like a very specific term. We as Americans think of amateur as just someone who does it and doesn't get paid. In England, it's like a whole thing. You're wealthy enough to pursue this endeavor.
1: Is a hobbyist.
0: Yeah, maybe next level hobbyist. They had this viewpoint of the purity of being an amateur. When this guy hires someone to train him, it calls into question whether or not he's an amateur. Dave, what do you think? Is he an amateur, although he is paying for help to grow his skills?
1: Yes. I mean, I don't really believe in amateurism. It exists to keep people without resources from achieving things you're disqualified if you pay money for this no i don't i don't think so i think he was an amateur
0: yeah i mean i guess he's not getting paid at this point either so i i would consider him an amateur i mean to your point like why do we even have amateurism like to what benefit is it to not have our olympic athletes or that's maybe not even true anymore because in baseball now and in basketball we have professionals who go to the olympics and play i guess maybe they've removed some of the rules about amateurism in the olympics i'm not sure it probably depends on the sport frankly i guess so yeah i guess i don't know well enough to to say how that works these days but i kind of agree with you that these people if they can make money off what they're doing so be it yeah and that's who cares
1: essentially what we're seeing is pay college football athletes (laughs) college
0: athletes period Especially college football, because it's such a huge moneymaker for certain schools. I don't know. I think the rules for all of that are stupid.
1: Maybe they'll change. I mean, they're all waiting for the- the They did in California, didn't they? Uh, Well, name and likeness. Name and likeness is going through all that rigmarole, but I'm not entirely sure. So I don't want to speak out of turn. From the opposite end of this discussion, I did want to talk a little bit about someone who's an amateur running into a professional. I played a lot of Magic the Gathering. I went to a lot of tournaments- I was pretty decent. Like, I, I wasn't great, but I, I was pretty good. Like, I would say I'm better than 500. I'm probably better than 65%. Like, I'm, a, I'm pretty good at the game. But I would run into people. That's all they did. They would just buy the best cards. Not saying that they're good players. Not good players. You have to be a good players with good cards. But I was never able to keep up because I didn't have the resources to drop $500 on a deck to play the newest cards. It was really frustrating. <laughs> it actually drove me to a different format. Like I stopped playing at the difficult levels. So I went from being like semi-serious to casual because I just running into people who were just putting gobs of money into it and I couldn't keep up. And again, not that they weren't good. They like, all oh, these players were really good, but they also were good and had the resources to do it. Anyway, I saying that I understand a little bit of amateurism, but I still believe athletes should be played. My entire thought of the game shifted at one point. I was like, well, I'm now just a hobbyist. Like, and I'm okay with that.
0: Congratulations. You are Abrams. You decided <laughs> that you, you. can't Thank win you. and then you're not going to play.
1: Yep. That's exactly what I did. You, you figured it out, John. Thank you.
0: So both Abrams and Little qualify for the 1924 Olympics.
1: Shocking. <laughs> what did you think was going to happen from this point on?
0: Abrams is going to train. Yeah. And we know that Little is going to continue to run. They're both going to do that. So... You kind of just assume they're going to meet in the Olympics and have a rematch. Rematch.
1: The way that's is set up,
0: though, is Abraham's is going to beat Little. In a traditional story, this is how this would function. I guess so. But then the story is not nearly as interesting. Okay, okay. The biggest rivals are the Americans, which we see jumping around. They seem to train. Apparently, they did some research on what exercises would have been done at the time. So all the weird things those guys are doing would have been how they trained in the 1920s. Bicycle kicks on your back? Yep. Yeah, I used to do that in wrestling. Come on. I'm not joking. (laughs) As the two runners leave for the event, uh, Little discovers that the heat for his race is going to be held on a Sunday. And he's heavily favored, but his religious convictions stop him from running. Can't run on Sundays. It's the Lord's Day. So the movie makes it seem like he's surprised to hear this when he's... Getting on the boat to go to Paris. Turns out, not true. He knew in advance.
1: The real little knew months in advance, and he started training for the 200 meter and the 400 meter. This was all added to add drama. However, I would say it failed because when this happened, I laughed because I was like, I know how this stuff functioned. Like, what are you talking about?
0: <laughs> they get to Paris. Ooh la la. <laughs> So the Prince of Wales is there and the British Olympic Committee, and they try to convince Little that he should run for king and country. And he, again, refuses, just saying he's all about England, but he has religious convictions. God is bigger than any country. He can appreciate a person who sticks by their convictions. More power to him, especially when he's getting lots of pressure. So eventually, compromise is made. Guess what the compromise is? He runs a different race. So simple. So he's not going to go up against Abrams. Uh, in one of these races however little is not as favored in long distances apparently he's better as a sprinter so dave tell me what do you think about this scene here
1: i think this is a terrible scene like one of the worst scenes in the in the movie everyone is extremely stiff they're british yeah yeah that's true uh but it's just really really bad the way this goes down is one of Little's teammates come in, comes in and says, like, I already got like a silver medal. You could have my place instead. This is Lord Lindsay. But you don't really see him like struggle with the concept at all.
0: That is my problem with the movie is that the issues that they face are so minor, like leading up to these events.
1: I mean I also don't know if I would have given up my spot for someone who would refuse to run. I'm like, okay, it's, well it
0: is that person's choice. I would agree.
1: And then I would say this does have one interesting quote in the scene. And one of the Olympic committee members says, like, <laughs> if I'm glad we didn't change his mind because we need more people like him. And I, I was like, this is sort of interesting, but it's also like a hammer. It's like, ooh, you're real blunt on this one. Here's what the movie's about. Don't compromise.
0: <laughs> They're like rubbing your face in it.
1: At the end of the scene, I, I got disappointed because I wanted to see Little and Abraham's race against each other.
0: The movie that never was.
1: Yeah. So I was like, I was like, oh, wait, is something going to happen? Is Abraham's going to switch to the 400? That's going to be bonkers. I can't wait. And guess what?
0: No such luck. No such luck. This movie lied to us. (laughs) So so Yeah, the movie kind of peters out here. Abrams runs his race and he wins. Good for him. Little also runs his race and also wins. I feel like Abrams feels like he proves himself worthy, mostly to himself the headmasters who were scolding him for having a trainer saying it wasn't the traditional gentlemanly thing to do now have to eat crow. I thought that was actually one of the better scenes in the movie where Abrams says to his headmasters, you guys are, aren't are getting with the program. You know, you're the old, you know, out with you guys in with my new training program. I'm going to show you that it's the better way. And he does.
1: I, I know that you basically recap the rest of the film. I did want to point out one thing that I thought was interesting Before Little runs the 400, they're like, this guy can't compete in a 400. He's a a sprinter. Jackson Scholes, again, a real person, incredibly fast American sprinter, gives Little a note with a Bible quote on it. The Bible quote is, he that honors me, I will honor. And then Little ran the race holding the note. Apparently this absolutely happened. That's not made up for the film, uh, but it wasn't Scholes who handed him the note.
0: Little sets the world record it's a record that that stands for several years. I think until Jesse Owens shows Hitler how to do it.
1: I can say at this point, I was pretty disappointed in the ending. Great that these, these guys won. Okay, sure. But I really wanted that race between Abrahams and little. I felt like the entire movie was building up to it and then just failed to deliver.
0: And then we get like the, the epilogues. Oh, here's what happens to these guys. Little goes back to China and does missionary work. I don't know if they talked about this specifically, but he dies there. In World War II, when the Japanese invade China, I guess he gets put into a a prison camp and ultimately dies of a disease while there. Abrams, they didn't say this, but I found this really interesting. He basically becomes a sports journalist in many ways and is involved in the Olympics with the rest of his life. He wants to go to Nazi Germany to cover the Olympics in Berlin in, is that 1936? But his news agency tells him that it's not safe because he's he's jewish and they don't think it's a good idea for him to go over there but he does it anyway and then reports back
1: which is pretty badass honestly
0: (laughs) he was a radio announcer he somehow made his way there without the support of his company and then got himself on the radio
1: (laughs) yeah that's that's really cool that sounds like a sports story that i want to hear
0: i i would love to watch that and also he probably announced jesse owens wins because he's a track athlete following another track athlete you know that would be a really interesting story too
1: that's the end of this
0: movie.
1: I'm trying to think if there's anything
0: we wanted to quickly chat about. We did gloss
1: over the fact that Abraham's is writing stories about himself and sending it off, which is pretty funny and highly unethical. But yeah, that's about it. That's, that's chariots of fire.
0: The movie is like built on this idea that these guys have to overcome these hurdles. I think maybe some are about religious conviction. Some are about antisemitism. Do you think this movie did a good job of showing, What Abrams faced like the anti-Semitism that he faced.
1: I don't think so. I think it's hinted at throughout the movie, but it's never explicit. No, I, I, now that I think about it, no, I don't think so. Do you?
0: No, I, I feel like they could have, there maybe should have been a scene or two to show the adversity he faced. Like maybe he got some microaggressions here and there, but I feel like by and large, like what he struggles with more seemed to be about, is he an amateur or not? Like that was the most pressure he seemed to get from his university. Maybe I missed some of these things, but it it didn't really see like he was battling a lot of anti-Semitism in England, or they just didn't show it. Like he may have been in real life. I just didn't feel like it came through very well in the movie.
1: I guess another one of the themes of this movie is religious convictions. I struggle with this because I'm not a religious person, despite going to a Catholic school for a very long time.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Well, I liked Little's character. I just have a hard time understanding it. Like it's a hard time trying to transfer religious conviction into something secular that I can relate to. I even asked my girlfriend about this. I was like, like, how do you explain religious conviction to a non-religious person? Like, I'm like, it's, it's a struggle. It's a little bit difficult.
0: Think of it this way, Dave. Imagine you are a vegetarian. Yeah. You have strong convictions about not eating meat. And mm-hmm. Suddenly you're told you need to eat meat for your career. Like this one day. Do you do
1: yeah. it? Uh, would I do it? I mean, I guess so because I used to be a vegetarian and now I eat meat. But yeah, that's a, that's a pretty good one. I would say it's probably like the closest we have is like athletes of color boycotting events. That could be a good analogy
0: in some way. What do you like? What about did you this like about this movie? <laughs> <laughs> I did like the soundtrack. I think it's kind of fun. It sort of works, and some sometimes it doesn't work. I think, but there are moments when I did like it. Uh, I do think the acting is solid. I think the camera work is good. Those are the pieces I like about the movie. Dave, what about you?
1: I mean, it's a tech, It's a technical movie. I did like the soundtrack. I do think parts of it look really good. Some of the acting's good. I wouldn't say all of it's good. I don't have much else to say other than that. I'm not a huge fan. I mentioned this earlier, though. I, I did like they finally captured the tension, the, the build up for an event. I thought that was pretty good. yeah. This is sort of just like a really aggressively mediocre movie. And and like, I don't love it and I don't hate
0: it. It's fine. I agree. So why do you think this movie won? I think there's multiple different reasons happening.
1: I think it had been something like 13 years since a British movie had won. So the the Oscars were like, we should probably think about that. Uh, America was preparing to host the summer Olympics. So there was Olympics fever. Uh, it got extremely positive reviews for some reason. Really shocking.
0: I would counterpoint that to say, like, it got people said it was a pleasant movie and easy to watch. If you look at Rotten Tomatoes, it's got like a seventy or eighty percent. Siskel's comments, I think, really nailed that. Where he's like, "Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> you won't yeah. hate it. It's fine."
1: From what I can gather, and and you you can talk maybe more about this, is that I think most cinephiles, I'm going to put that in quotes think that Warren Betty's Reds should have won this year. I don't agree with that, but that's what I kept seeing when I was trying to research this movie.
0: I didn't really like that movie either. I have to say it was really long. It basically felt like they wanted the movie to be like sort of like an Annie Hall style where they've got like two quirky characters giving jabs to each other verbally. It's not a story I found particularly compelling. I don't even know why they chose that character to write that story about. It's not that good of a film or that, that interesting of a piece of history.
1: Is it a technically sound movie? Mm, it's fine.
0: It's totally okay. fine. I okay. just, I, I'm not into it. I don't like it.
1: <laughs> so I guess what we're saying here is we both think Indiana Jones sort of won.
0: Indiana Jones is much more culturally significant than any of the other films that came out this year.
1: Yeah, and it's I I was watching it and I'm like, all this stuff is really difficult to put together. Like the script is good, the lighting is good, the acting is good, the cinematography is good, special fa- like everything about this is so solid. And I and I realized like this movie's getting regulated to the bottom because it's an action movie.
0: But I don't think people paid attention. Like I I do think it's a really solid movie, way better than I remember it being. You know, this movie is presented to us as uh, a movie about overcoming adversity. And that's what like the director kept saying on us in the commentary. I just really didn't think they had that much adversity to face. And it's almost laughable in my opinion.
1: Like, yeah, yeah. I agree with you on that. These guys are, I would say two privileged men who really aren't giving up a lot, or if they are giving up a lot, it's not shown very well in the film. Eric Little, did very little internal discussion. There was no like him maybe going to actually run on Sunday. You know what I mean? It was just like, I'm not doing it. And that's the end of it. Um, That doesn't, that's not an interesting story.
0: You know, I wouldn't even say that's adversity because it's a prison of his own design. It's not even a prison. He just, he put himself in that situation. No one told him he couldn't run. In fact, they were telling him to run. He was the one that was saying that. And then I also felt with Abram's, i just don't know what his adversity was at least in terms of the movie like maybe he faced a lot of anti-semitism in life but again it didn't really come through in the movie
1: in the movie just to be clear there's like some like side characters who are who are anti-semitic or like make allusions to it but it also felt like he was easy he was evil to solve his problem by just being like i got money yeah
0: <laughs> he still had access to everything it's not like he was ever denied anything it seemed I guess maybe he was just trying to fit in in British, I guess, traditional Anglican society again, which is very regimented. It seems like everyone has a place. Their family's been around for generations. They're expected to behave certain ways and he's an outsider. So he's got that going against him as well.
1: Yeah. Like a more interesting movie would have been like he gets there and then he's kicked out and they're like, you can come back if you give up running or training or something. And he's like, no, I'm going to keep running. I know this is a bio. They're trying to hit all the real things, but I'm talking more along stories. Like, this is just not a super compelling story. I think maybe this movie would have been better if they focused on one character and really got let us get to know that person. Because as it is, you're kind of bouncing around, yes, between these two characters, but there are other side characters as well that eat up screen time. If you did that, maybe you they would be able to like really dig into their convictions and why they're doing these things instead of having them just sort of monologue it at you. Is it a winner or a wiener? Uh what do you think, Dave? I think it's a wiener.
0: It's not a winner. To say it's a wiener is maybe unfair because it's a perfectly okay movie. But I I wouldn't really recommend it to most people or anyone really.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't recommend it either. One of the reasons we did this movie, John, just so we don't forget, is that this supposedly this is President Biden's favorite movie or the movie he's seen the most, which I think says a lot. Actually, this is not like other wieners. Like it's not like uh, Broadway Melody. It, it's not like
0: S- Cimarron, but it's not good. Like it's like a. When Dave says it's not good, it's not bad either. It doesn't stand out. It's milk toast. That's perfect. You just you just nailed it. It's milk toast. It's a wiener on milk toast. (laughs) Okay. Porn name. Longest 10 seconds of your life.
1: That's that's pretty good, John. I went with National Lampoon's Dick Dash. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) It's okay.
0: I mean, it makes sense for the frat life British college guys.
1: Yeah. Feedback. Uh, So I was on an episode of movies, films, and flicks. It's a podcast. We covered Bloodshot. It's bloodshot It's one year anniversary since Bloodshot came out. And we just talked about what's changed uh, on the second viewing of that film. Uh, spoiler, I still really like it, though I know it's a B-movie. <laughs> okay, I love Vin Diesel, so I'm going to keep doing my Vin, my Vin watches.
0: So I saw a skinny little guy that with a shaved head the other day on the internet. Someone called him Vin Petrol.
1: <laughs> That's so good.
0: All right, anyway, go ahead, Dave.
1: We got really good feedback for our Robin Hood episode. I didn't realize that people loved the Robin Hood movies as much as they did. And thank you for reaching out and just, you know, sort of chatting with me about it. Really appreciate it.
0: Cool. Those are fun movies. I think that was more fun than watching this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. And we'll do another guest episode in a couple
1: months. So next up is essentially the Oscar special. The Oscars are April 25th.
0: Yeah, that sounds good. I've got a couple more to catch up on, and I know you're pretty darn close. It's a weird year for Oscars, just because a lot of movies didn't come out. The COVID, to be clear, the the Oscar
1: ceremony happens on April 25th. If you're a new listener, what we do is we're going to watch all of the, the eight Best Picture noms, do a quick synopsis, hopefully as spoiler-free as possible, and then just give our thoughts on whether it has a chance to win or not. They're typically fun episodes. I, I do like doing these. And and I would also say that this year's I think it's a surprisingly strong year, even though it was crazy with COVID. They robbed Vin Diesel of his Oscar NOM for a Fast 9.
0: What <laughs> was well, that delayed? What you're yeah, saying? it
1: comes out uh June twenty fifth this year. Yeah.
0: Or they should have released it last year. He would have been up. Mr. Universe, he owns Universal Studios.
1: <laughs> He's like, you want to make a billion dollars? Let me do some weird movie, and then we'll do another Fast and Furious. <laughs> what are we getting our next Pitch Black movie? That that's, that script's already been written, but he hasn't hasn't started doing it yet. I keep awesome. up with the Vin news, dude. I really do. I'm not joking. It's not. I know we, it's a bit on the podcast, but I actually do. <laughs> Didn't something weird happen
0: with Vin Diesel? Just like, isn't he being written off the Fast and Furious movies? Uh, you're thinking of he had a feud with The Rock. Yeah. And then The Rock isn't in
1: the ninth one, but they've since made up. And he'll probably be in the 10th and the 11th.
0: They have those planned already?
1: The final movie, they're they're playing on doing 10, but they're doing 11. And it's 10 part one and 10 part two. I don't know the name of it or I would tell you. So it's like that. Uh, But there's also going to be side character movies.
0: So how do we fit 10 into Furious? (laughs) I feel like the I and the O in Furious could be a 10. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> i I, oh, I don't know if i'm really excited uh, okay so if you liked our podcast
1: please 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 rate us and review us on itunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast we really appreciate it you can contact us at david at award or john at award com. we also are very active on instagram we are at award winners.com we do regular movie reviews we do movie memes just a really good community of people who are nice talking about movies in a non-pretentious way. This has been a fun episode. It turned out better than I thought. Uh, I thought we were going to rag on this thing the whole way through, but it, some really interesting conversations.
0: I, I appreciate this more in the second watch than the first watch. And maybe that's how you should do it, is just go through it once. You can hate watch it once, then go through it again and be like, you know what? There's some, there's some good things in here. I had the same experience, which is shocking. Yeah. Cool. So thanks for listening guys. We will have our Oscar episode out soon. Don't forget we'll probably have an Oscar Picks game soon also if we need to set that up. And we will see you at the finish line.
1: Shoes for a runner when the sun come up. Hey, one percenters, the 99 say, so "What you gonna do for us?" We'll run up in your house like the first runner up. Uh. Be the first one to buck and the last one to get laid down. Stay down, and now we looking at the top of the pile. Overlooking the mountain, don't knock him off. We vote, but y'all niggas are too soft. Bubba gum, dip, popping off at the mouth like a nigga got all the hoes, got all the dope, and all the women. Why, what you gonna do in the penitentiary? Got a lot of money, can't take it with me. I can't take it with me. I wish they could send me to the moon the back with a cure for cancer and save the lives of my great grandma my great granddad. And I'm that's the answer to the question. But they make money off the medicine, leaving us all stuck in elections with no progression, just recessions. will raise ya. Sun is comin', it'll chase ya. Will drop uh, when shit uh, gets uh, sketchy. That's uh, a masterpiece of work of yeah.
0: all that gallery. Yeah. No photoshop, yeah. pictures say a million words, so I just let my